This is the Making Waves podcast. My name is Dave Rutland. We're here with Dan Doler. Dan, welcome. Thank you for having me again. Now, you run a YouTube channel called Lemnus on the Prairie. That is correct. Yeah, it's uh, when I started just sort of waking up to the Marxism that it creeped into our local institutions and among our leadership here in our community, I decided it was time to kind of create a platform where I could basically share the documents and the information where and how this was happening and who was involved and complicit in it. So I developed a YouTube channel where people can see videos and get information about that and share it. Well, I'm subscribed. Yeah, I urge everyone to do so. Thanks. We spoke before about the Marxist march through the institutions, even here in South Dakota. Could you just brief us, uh, your listeners, about yourself and how you became aware of this issue? Sure. So as executive director of Harmony, a nonprofit here in Sioux Falls, I was required to most more or less participate in some DEI training seminars and requirements that were part of our funding process uh, to receive funding from the Sioux Empire United Way. And so that awakened me and basically opened my eyes to the depth that cultural Marxism had really infiltrated so many of our local institutions. And the leadership didn't seem, in some cases, they were openly you know, supportive of this ideology and agenda, but in some cases, they just didn't seem to care. So there was a complacency by some and complicity by others. And my concern was that, you know, particularly with organizations, if you want to quickly align them to a specific ideological agenda, the simplest and quickest way to do that is to say you can't get our money without, you know, participating in this sort of practice. And so that's where I got concerned. I started paying attention. I started, you know, keeping track of all the documents that were going out and the training videos, and I downloaded those, and then I started basically creating on documenting all that in uh, short documentarian type videos so I could share that information with people and make my case because it's hard to do that. Not everybody has the time to sit across the table from one another like we're doing here. So I just thought if I could alert people to what was happening and show them the information, then they could be informed and that would provide the transparency. And then we could have some accountability to our local leaders and institutions. And we, of course, went through this in our previous podcast called The March Through the Institutions. I recommend people listen to that. And also, of course, go to your YouTube channel, Leonard Sullenberry. Well, how would you define woke? I would define woke as basically a compliance structure. So people who have Marxist, neo-Marxist, cultural Marxist, critical, you know, critical theory ideas about how they want to remake the world, essentially use wokeism as an umbrella to get everybody to believe in this narrative and to see the world through the lens of a narrative that says there's always an oppressor and there's always a victim. And so they gain power through a compliance structure which convinces people that they are, if they're the oppressors, they need to relinquish their power. And if they are the victims, then they need to support whatever leaders say that they are going to empower them through these Marxist, you know, left-leaning policies and ideas. Put it shortly, it's a system where people can declare themselves to be victims and really everybody exactly. has yeah. to be compliant. It, it is, and, and uh, James Lindsay, who some of your listeners may know from the um, a New Discourses podcast, has a great definition too. He says that woke is simply defined as calling someone a bigot until they give you your power. <laughs> and so, you know, it doesn't matter what they call you. They can make it with regard to race or sexuality or whatever, or gender, et cetera, but eventually they just want your power. What local organizations here in South Dakota are woke? Well, obviously, I have direct contact with the Sioux Empire United Way, and I extensively documented 
the way that the ideology of the left and their influence in the political lobbying efforts in Washington, D.C., trickle all the way down to all the local institutions and the franchises of the United Way throughout the United States. Um, and so people think, well, surely that's not happening here, you know, in our United Way. And our own United Way tries to retreat from this, which I find ironic. It's like, you know, if this is who you are, then just come out and say it and just say, yeah, that's who we are. And if people don't want to give you your money, then they're not going to give you your money. The problem is we have a lot of people that are trying to straddle the middle of this fence. And um, they want to be somewhat um, duplicitous about how they're going about this because they know that there are a lot of conservative people here in our community that would not support them if they were openly, you know, transparent about it. They wouldn't give their money. They would not. So they have to be subtle about it, you know. So what they do is they enact it through these sort of compliance bureaucracies where you have to have to answer questions about how are you doing the work of diversity, equity, inclusion? How is your organization seeing itself through the lens of equity? And then within your local businesses and things, it's like, well, how are we compliant with these ESG, environmental social governance standards, so that we can receive our financial you know, access and insurance and all these different things? And so what you're seeing is that, for example, so in addition to assuming by your right away, people would say, well, I don't have to give my money to the United Way. Well, that's fine. But most, many of the United Ways are shifting their revenue model to government grants. So I'll give you one quick example. In Alabama, um, Central Alabama, so Birmingham area United Way, got $55 million in federal grants in 2021. $55 million. Now, $31 million of that was distributed for HIV care. Now, it's 2022. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not unsympathetic to people that have health needs. But that's an insane amount of money, you know what I'm saying, to just be given away to these people if you have a certain kind of ideological son in terms of how they want to spend that money. And so the, the problem is that we have what I would call the nonprofit industrial complex, right? These nonprofits get their marching orders from the politicians on the left and these social activism organizations that filter down to all these sort of boutique versions of them. One example locally would be South Dakota Voices for Peace, right? Okay, this is an organization with Denise at the helm. She was defeated as mayor because the people said, we reject these ideas that you are proposing and advocating for. So then how do they get them implemented? They get them implemented because they can get both federal and private sector philanthropic money given to their organizations to do local community organizing and advocating for these ideas and these policies. So two examples. One is in 2019, your local Sioux Falls Area Community Foundation gave a grant so that Tunisia could take 12 women to the Muslim Sisterhood Arise Conference, okay? Now, what do you learn? Now, I'll just read you real quick. So, um, what is Sioux Falls Voices of Peace? It says that they are envisioning a South Dakota that is diverse, inclusive, and anti-racist. Now, that sounds good on the surface, but again, you and I know if we peel away, well, what is the anti-racism? It's actually racism, right? It's saying that you need to see the world through a filter of everything put in terms of racism where somebody has power and somebody is being oppressed. And any disparity that we see in outcomes based on race that we perceive are always the fault of discrimination. Even if rational evidence shows us that's not the case, it, that's what sorts of engineer. Exactly, totally. It does, you don't need proof for it. But when you go to like this Muslim Sisterhood Arise conference, you learn about, you take courses on intersectionality, confronting white supremacy, unveiling unconscious bias, ally is a verb, you know, etc. And then now, what's current in the news right now, there's a whole section on that website about how to support Palestine, because they have the conflict with Hamas and Israel. 
And so, you know, your AGP, your, you know, um, Americans for Justice of Palestine, your AMP, all these organizations that you see that are fomenting these local uh, sort of riots and, and um, uh, action efforts, you know, where they're banging on the gates of the White House and they're in the, you know, the Congress and demonstrating all around. And you see these folks in Minneapolis, you know, like surrounding cars and banging on with Palestinian flags. Those, this is the same organization that's tied to all of that. So these national organizations have all of their local and regional sort of sponsors or boots on the ground organizations through which they implement these ideas. And they're generally supported by, like for example, I'll just name a couple, Blue Cross and Blue, Field, um, sorry, Blue Shield of Minnesota, the Bush Foundation, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all your typical large, read some more of those. Yeah, I mean, so the McKnight Foundation, the Alburn Eleanor J. Anderson Foundation, the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundations, and et cetera. So these are the folks that are funding these Muslim sisterhood folks, right? And then it trickles down because here we also have the Sioux Falls Area Community Foundation gives money to Ace Academy, our local CRT indoctrination school. They give money to the, uh, what is, of course they pay themselves. This is how they put beans on the table. Yeah, exactly. And that's how they can spend so much time doing this ideological indoctrination. They don't have to have jobs since they're being paid through these. Absolutely. And then you have like the South Dakota Urban Indian Health, you know, having the Two-Spirit Powwow, you know, which is Sioux Falls Pride Organization and the Transformation Project, you know, which lobbies for what they call gender affirming care is got their startup money from the Sioux Falls Area Community Foundation. There's also one, and also like if you look at um, Chamber of Commerce is another one. I mean, for those people that pay attention to what's going on in the state house and peer in the Senate, you, you notice that the Chamber of Commerce is always one of the most active lobbying organizations in the state of South Dakota. I'm talking about the Sioux Falls Area, you know, Chamber of Commerce. And so good distinction. Exactly. And it's like, well, I have a question, you know, I, I, I used to give money to them because, you know, we had the blue ribbon cutting and my board of directors said, oh, we should belong to the chamber and get the blue, you know, and they come and they cut the ribbon and you get your picture in the paper and it's great for it and all that. I'm like, why? Okay, whatever. And then after a couple of years, I started looking like, why are you paying several hundred dollars a year for a membership in an organization for which I don't see what the benefit is? What did they do? And I start looking at what they do and it's like, well, they're a lobbying organization. That's essentially what they do, you know, in addition to leading diversity, equity, inclusion summits and training seminars, you know, their main function is to basically lobby what they think serves the best interest of supposedly the business, you know, people who pay their membership dues. But here's the problem. They're always on the side of the largest corporations. So when vaccine mandates were, you know, in the thing, when it came to transgender care, they're always lobbying and favor the things that serve the biggest corporations like Sanford. And this does not serve the interests of the business community. I mean, nobody in small, especially small business, absolutely not. I don't want, you know, people telling me that I have to vaccinate my employees or I have to do this or that or whatever. All those kind of woke court of court ideas are things that most business people, particularly other business people, reject. We want more access to marketplace and less compliance bureaucracy. But they're always on the side, she knew about this stuff. And when you, Look at that. You wonder why would they do that? And the only answer to the question is because the largest corporations benefit from it, of course. And those are the people that pull the strings. Look at who sits on the board of directors of those organizations. You see, it's the same people who sit on the board of directors of right. the United Way, which is the Sioux Falls Area Community Foundation. It's always that same cabal of people that are basically serving their own interests through the philanthropic sector, as they call it. Let's kind of go back to funding and how they get their funding. Could you explain to me how these supposed nonprofits get their funding, not just through the government grants, but through, through any weeds. Yeah, so there's different ways. So like with a structure like the United Way, it's basically corporate fundraising, okay? So our local United Way has not 
diversify the revenue much yet to seek federal and state grants. Most of their money is coming directly from uh, what they call camp to FOI campaigns. So they go to the, you've probably seen right on the news and whatever, because it's everywhere and every, but the problem is I haven't had many conversations with you all who kind of go, ugh, when they talk about when you say the United Way, because they're like, it's very coercive. You know, it's sort of like, right. it's like you're the sheep. Exactly. It's like going to a timeshare meeting. You know, it's like, you're not going to leave the room until we have your donation kind of a thing. Wow. You know what I mean? That's the feel that a lot of people have. Now they dress it up with all these, they give you incentives, they do drawings, they have, you know, free food, all these events that businesses invest in to try to get people there. But at the end of the day, it's like they want to look good. And the thing is, it's great for them because that fulfills their ESG requirements because the United Way collects and is, is, is using this wokeness bureaucracy to show that they're in compliance with these diversity, equity, inclusion ideas, right? And so then, when the business comes in and says, well, what have we done with our philanthropic dollars? Do we get our ES uh, dollars? Do we get our ESG credit? Then the United Way says, oh, absolutely. Look, here are the list of the identity characteristics of the people that we supported through the funding agencies to see how this works, right? So the corporations love it because they get to check the philanthropy box. And even if they're not quote unquote woke, they have to be because they're under the um, purview of these ESG qualifications now, right? And requirements. So they love it. It's easy. Oh, we checked the box. We're done, right? He's still a lot like in buying indulgence. It is. Back in the Middle Ages, you buy an indulgence from the church for whatever. So you get a pass for whatever you do. That's exactly right. Like we don't actually have to address the issue. As long as you pay As long as you pay You get your check. You are, absolutely. And this whole system would fall apart and people would simply not comply. Yeah. You know, I would use Target and Bud Light as a great example of when the philanthropic wings of corporate, you know, um, corporations basically go woke, then people need to disinvest themselves. Because what does disinvestment do? It disincentivizes the behavior of those businesses. Okay. Now, the problem is you've seen with Target and with, um, you know, the, the Target CEO just went on TV for an interview this week and like doubled down on the lies about this stuff, how they weren't doing the things that they were caught doing. And, people, and I know he's, Bud Light was doing the same thing. And they were absolutely, they just deny, deny, you know, and think, well, eventually this will go out of the news and nobody will care. And, and previously they're right. Yeah, they're right. People just lose interest. Yeah. And it's interesting to note that within the business community, you have alternatives. Like I don't have to shop at Target. I can shop somewhere else, right? You know, if I drank beer, I could drink a different beer than Bud Light, right? But the problem is that with your local community organizations, you know, a lot of people, I honestly don't understand the structure. I tried to have a conversation with the folks at the Sioux Falls Area Community Foundation. They said, well, why not here to debate or have a conversation about who we're funding? Because it's complicated. This is what they always say. They always talk about, well, it's very complicated. We have a lot of different interests. We're trying to keep the peace between these divisive factions of people on the left and the right. And we have everybody included. They're BS. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it, it, yeah, because they can't defend the fact that they're supporting things that they don't, that they know are harmful to the community. But they have to, you know, kind of keep singing this refrain of equal representation. You know, we want to represent all the different diverse people within the community. And it's like, well, when you're talking about people that want to, you know, sterilize and mutilate kids' bodies, I don't know how you justify funding organization that that's their main goal. And, and, and that's what they advocate. I mean, that's what they advocate. Absolutely. So that's the problem. From the, how, let's talk a little bit how what they spend the money. Now, the, the, we briefly talked about how much the, how much they get, you know, from corporations and from a course of uh, fundraising. How do they spend the money? What kind of programs that they have to get? 
Sure. So let's use a company example. So Sioux Falls Area Community Foundation set went into the Muslim Sisterhood Rise Conference in Minneapolis in 2019. When you go to that conference, you learn, you know, you could take courses on intersectionality, resisting a victim, yeah, resisting white supremacy, and all these kind of typical, it's all anti-racism kind of stuff from even M. Kennedy and the usual people, right? And so the idea is you're basically indoctrinating people and teaching them how to become social activist and, and organized community organizers, because that's what Tanisa's done here. And so she's looking to the people throughout the quote unquote best practices and the thought leaders within the movement as to how to train people. I'll give you one quick example. You know, right now in the news, we have a thing with Hamas and Israel. And what's fascinating about it is this organization, you know, the Muslim Sisterhood Rise folks, they have ties to that, right? The Americans for Justice in Palestine, the American uh, Muslims in Palestine, you know, these large organ national organizations are all tied to these regional and local organizations like that. And so that's how it filters through all the way down to, to here to Sioux Falls. Another example is uh, every summer, um, they, the, the South Dakota Voices for Peace sponsors the cohort to courage. Well, that sounds great, right? But what is it? It's basically a week-long summer camp for teenagers and people in their young 20s, college-age students to come and learn best practices for community organizing, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, there's actually, I'm trying to put together a video on Lord, uh, Lennis on the Prairies to show, you know, what they do when they graduate. They basically have a little, like, conference where they invite the public to come and they do land acknowledgments where they apologize, you know, for decolonize and they want to decolonize the land that everything in the United States is built on, which doesn't make any sense, but it's how would that work? You know what I'm saying? It's the same language that's being used by this nihilistic sort of mentality, but says, look, there's an oppressor, so we need to take the land back from whoever that is. No, no idea about what that should look like. You notice, like in Palestine, it's a great example of, they don't want a two-state solution. What is it from the river to the seas? You know, sign be free. They don't want, they just want the Jews. They don't want solutions. They don't want the cop. They do. They want the conflict because it, it basically foments revolution. And revo in these process, critical consciousness requires a constant swirl, right? We're doing the oppressor and the victim because that empowers the people who pull those strings right. as leverage to basically mobilize these people who see themselves as victims. It's not about justice. It's not about right or wrong. It's about the structure of civilization. It is completely. I mean, and that's the thing that people need to realize is that what started off as like, you know, Marxism migrates of an default of cultural Marxism with Foucault and people like we've talked about Frank through school. And then it's this critical consciousness. Now it's like, well, why are these LGBT people aligned with these? It's because it's all the idea of I have to see everything through the lens of critical theory, which means that somebody's oppressing somebody and I need to be on the right side. Even they talk a lot about being on the right side of history, you know, and undoing the sins of the past and all that. I mean, it has religious theological language. Well, of course. And the final thing I would say is that now I think it's evolved to the next stage. And this is where it's getting really dangerous now in our country. What you saw in the summer of 2020, and I predict will happen in exponentially worse in 2024 with the election coming, is that it's a nihilistic worldview. There's no rationality to it anymore. It's not just having critical consciousness. It's about believing that no matter what the system is, it needs to be destroyed and they don't even talk about replacing it with any. They just want to destroy it and bread down. And moreover, they give themselves a rationalization to do things that are destructive, violence, and structure property. And that makes them the righteous one, and they don't need to justify it at all. Yeah, it's very much a cultural, I would say it's a cultic theological system. And so they're operating on a, a, a sort of what you would look at in a religious system as like a faith base or a mm -hmm. model. It's really a sociological model. I mean, that's one of the ways to look at Marxism is that it's a religion.
It is. It's definitely a replacement for any kind of genuine. So that's why they hate Christianity. They do. They hate it. And the family as well. Because they, yes. every, every, cause again, it's like, well, the family is a patriarchal system where the family, you know, the mothers and fathers, the parents. That's why gender-affirming care is rooted in, you know, pre-hysterate, uh, career critical theory is rooted in Marxism because it says that both parents shouldn't have the right to deprive a child. Children should be able to declare themselves to be whatever they want. And we have to apply as a because the parents are seen as the oppressor in that relationship. God is seen as the oppressor in the religious structure, right? So everyone you can name, they're against it because they just want to be able to participate in whatever kind of nihilistic anarchy they can think of. This is so confusing to normal people because this is not the way normal people think. And the sad thing for me is that so much of the work that's done, you asked about how, it, how where does the funding go? Most of it goes towards training and advocacy work because that is the ultimate goal. They want people to see the world through the critical lens of who's oppressing me. And whether it's your race, your sexuality, or your gender, or your sexual identity, or you know any category you can think of, they keep dividing and creating new ones. And I'm pretty sorry of this ability or any, anything. Yeah, they will basically tell you, somehow you're a victim, so you need to get on our side and give us your power, and we're going to work together to overcome this. Well, then, what I'd like to recommend to our listeners is don't comply. Absolutely. Don't give them money. Stand up to them. That's the only thing you can do. Yeah, I agree. And um, so be educated, you know, um, and and share it, too, you know. I mean, because what I found is that I've, I've, I've gotten some really great feedback and support from people saying, thank you. I didn't know our United Way or I didn't know this organization was doing that. And I think that's something that um, the other wolves and sheep, yeah. they are. And I think the next, maybe another time we should have a conversation because the next step is provide the transparency by raising awareness, you know, among your colleagues and your friends and the people you know within your social network. And then the next step is be smart about how can we provide some disincentivizing of this thing. Like it's easy to disinvest yourself from United Way or don't give to this charity or whatever. But what do we do about the organizations who are well-funded by people on the lab, like the Soros type folks that want to see this and the corporations who are just dumping money into it and these, I mean, we've got these foundations. Like you look at the Ford Foundation, the Annie Casey Foundation, some of these that you hear all the time, you know, is like this program supported by on public grade or whatever. These organizations are the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, for example. These folks have billions of dollars to throw at this stuff. That's why it's so well-funded and so well-organized, because these people get paid to do this stuff. Like you mentioned, full body, they absolutely do. And so it's hard for us who are living our lives and just want to be left alone, right, want to be free, to figure out how to combat that. And that's where I think the next step is to figure out what are some simple ways that we can mobilize ourselves to really push back against this backward. Well, first thing I would suggest is subscribe to Lendless on the Prairie. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, thank you for being with us. Thanks so much for your help. This has been the Making Ways Podcast. My name is Dave Roblin, and we've been here with Dan Goler.